Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hey there. I am so glad that you are back for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, and we are going to be tackling your questions today. We've got a a handful of questions on a variety of topics, and I just want to say, as always, that if you have questions, let me help you find the answers. I know that I used to feel really stuck, and in fact, a lot of people ask, like, oh, you know, you've been so helpful to me. Like, who was your person? Who was your Elizabeth Benton when you were in the throes of weight loss and really struggling and, you know, on again, off again and all of that? And, you know, I didn't have one. And maybe it wouldn't have taken me over 20 years to get to this point if I had. And, you know, maybe I'm not your person and that's totally okay. But if you feel like you have a struggle that you can't make progress with, or if you feel like there's something that you just really don't understand, genuinely, please, I I want to help. So if you haven't yet, please shoot me an email and let me know. And I'll answer your question publicly or privately, either way, um, or both. And I really just want to help you break through whatever barrier is holding you back right now, whether it's related to food, whether it's related to mindset or emotional stuff, whether it's related to fitness or health challenges or anything like that. I hope that you will give me the opportunity to support you in any way that I can. So with that said, let's dive into today's questions. And some of them are related to activity. Some of them are related to kind of binging or getting back on the wagon, cheat meals, reward meals, whether or not breakfast is important and responding to hunger and craving. So let's dive in with the first question. And this came as a result. So a couple of weeks ago now, I sent out to the VIP email list Um, which you can get on over at primalpotential.com, I sent out what I think are the most effective exercises for fat loss. And one of the things that I talked about in there was chronic cardio, right? Steady state, moderate duration, um, cardiovascular exercise, and how that's really not good for fat loss and how one of the things that it really does is increase hunger and cravings. And so one of the items on my best exercises for fat loss email was um, leisure walking. And I got an email that says, isn't walking steady state cardio? And they were a little bit confused, and rightfully so. It's a really great question. They were a little bit confused, like, wait a second. So I shouldn't do steady state cardio, but I should walk, right? So there is a difference between walking as cardiovascular exercise and walking as movement. Now, when I say leisure walking, I am not talking about cardiovascular exercise. So I'm not talking about a power walk, tracksuit wearing, huffing, puffing, arm swinging. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about movement, 
right? That's why that's why I always refer on the podcast to leisure walking. When we hop on the treadmill or the recumbent bike or the elliptical machine or we go for a jog, that is moderate intensity cardiovascular exercise where you're elevating your heart rate, you're getting a response of your stress hormones, and you could talk, but you're not going to comfortably carry on a conversation. So if I'm leisure walking, for example... I'm strolling. I could carry on a phone conversation where nobody would ever know that I was outside moving unless they heard cars passing by, right? Now, if I were on a a power walk, they would definitely know. My breathing would be slightly labored, um, and, and it would take more energy to do that walk. I am not talking about steady state cardio walking. I'm talking about leisure walking, and that is the difference, okay? Chronic cardio is this moderate intensity, longer duration type of exercise, right? It is it is very different from leisure walking. When we talk about leisure walking, going on a stroll, right, just moving our bodies because we spend way too much time sitting sedentary on our butts or standing still, we do not walk enough. When we talk about leisure walking, it has many benefits. First of all, it reduces your stress hormones. It lowers cortisol. Now, when we talk about chronic cardio, that steady state, moderate intensity, longer duration, jogging, elliptical, recumbent bike, spin class, whatever, that is actually going to increase your stress hormones, okay? So we, when we compare these two, if we had two columns, on the leisure walking side, we would see a reduction in stress hormones, right? On the chronic cardio side, we would see an increase increase in stress hormones. The other thing about leisure walking is you're going to really increase your blood flow, which is a requirement for fat loss. When we talk about the physiology of fat loss, like how it actually happens, it's not just like, oh, we have a calorie deficit, poof, burn fat. No, it's actually a multi-step process where first, the fat has to be allowed to leave the cell in which it is stored. Then it has to travel through the blood to another cell to be entered into that cell where it can then be burned. And so when we increase blood flow through movement, we stimulate the, the processes within fat loss like traveling from one cell to another. So it really stimulates blood flow, which is great for energy. It's great for fat loss. I mean, the, the blood flow for fat loss component is only one side of it. You know, you're delivering oxygen and nutrients throughout your body. And we, we, we really do spend way too much time sitting. We just do not walk enough. When we look at chronic cardio, not only do we not see this reduction of stress hormones, we see the increase in stress hormones. And that tends to create more hunger and more cravings. And a lot of people, when they talk about chronic cardio, they'll give the example of distance runners. And many distance runners, you can be a distance runner and be very overweight. You cannot be a sprinter and be overweight, right? I mean, well, it's very unlikely to, because I don't want to say anything is not possible, but it is very unlikely to see an overweight sprinter because of the difference in the hormonal response. Chronic cardio triggers a stress response, a cortisol response, and that is why many people, when training for a marathon or doing a lot of this chronic cardio, experience more hunger and cravings. We see the opposite impact with leisure walking. So the second part of this question was, if you only have 30 minutes, 30 minutes of time is all you have, and your goal is fat loss, what's better, a jog or a leisure walk? And honestly, given those two scenarios, the answer would never be a jog because of this hormonal response. Plus, when you think about the impact 
of jogging, it can be very tough on your joints, which is no bueno, right? But really, it's about the hormonal response, the way that your body responds through stress and oftentimes through lowering your metabolic rate because it goes into that survival mode of why is she still running? Why is he still running? We need to dial back and conserve because it senses sort of a an emergency situation as opposed to the flight or, f- uh, flight or fight response, which would be very, very short duration and stimulate fat burning. These longer durations, moderate intensity, increase stress hormones and can decrease your metabolic rate. So it's kind of a double whammy. Plus, when you talk about jogging, the intensity, my answer would never be jog. Given those two choices, I would always choose a leisure walk. But if I were expanding beyond that and just said, you only have 30 minutes, what's the best thing for fat loss? I would say it would be interval training. Interval training and or lifting, you can easily do both within a 30-minute window for sure. You can do 10 minutes of intervals and 10 minutes of uh, and 20 minutes of weight training. I have done episodes on interval training and on strength training. I will link to those in the show notes over at primalpotential.com. So there is a difference between leisure walking and steady state cardio, but it's a great question. All right, the next question is is asking a question of me as Elizabeth. This individual wants to know how I personally distract myself if I'm hungry or experiencing cravings. And the reason this came up was based on a comment on the segment that I do at the end of these shows on what I ate yesterday, because oftentimes there's not snacks in between. Sometimes there are, but not often. And so this individual wants to know, well, if you get hungry or you experience cravings, how do you distract yourself? In short, I don't distract myself, right? I don't. Because if I am hungry or if I am experiencing cravings, that is my body sending me a message. And to distract myself would be to not figure out what the message means and where it's coming from and how I should respond intelligently. So I understand the question in terms of like, oh, I'm thinking about chocolate. Go read a book. Go take a shower. Call a friend. Whatever. That is, in my opinion... That is old school advice. This is a great question, but the notion of distracting yourself to me is old school advice because if it worked, everybody would just go phone a friend, right? Everybody would just go take a walk and not experience the food issue. And and I think that that is not a super successful strategy for most people. So if I personally experience hunger or cravings, I'm I'm curious about it. I want to know what's going on with my body. So there are a couple of things that I like to evaluate in those situations. Number one, if I'm hungry, the first question I'll ask myself is, does my body need fuel? For example, let's say I've just had a big meal an hour ago and all of a sudden I'm hungry. I'm going to go, does my body need fuel? No. So then why am I hungry? Right? Is it because of the food choices I made and maybe they didn't trigger those hunger signals because maybe I... I didn't eat the right combination of foods? Or is it false hunger? Am I dehydrated? Am I just thinking about food? What am I focused on, right? If I am hungry, if I am physically experiencing that sensation like, oh, I'm really hungry, not like, oh, chocolate, that sounds good. If I am truly hungry and if I can say, yeah, actually, my body probably does need fuel right now. Either I had a really heavy workout day or it's been a while since I've eaten, then I eat right? Period. If I am hungry and I feel like my body needs fuel, I eat. If I am hungry and I don't think that I really need fuel at that time, false hunger or moderate hunger, it could be like, yes, I'm a little hungry, but really it's only like a two on a scale of one to 10. Then 
I'll drink some water or some tea or some coffee, or I'll choose to change my focus, which some people might consider this as a distraction, but it's really not. So let's say I'm just a tiny bit hungry. Well, I could sit there and be like, oh, I'm kind of hungry. What could I eat? Blah, blah, blah. The more I focus on that, the more I fixate on it, the more my thoughts are geared towards food and the more I want food. But if I just change my focus, like on a scale of one to 10, it's a two. That's cool. I totally can eat, but I'm going to wait till I'm a little bit more hungry. So I'm just going to do something else that needs to be done in the day. I don't think of it as a distraction because I'm not intentionally trying to distract myself. I'm saying, oh yeah, there's that hunger signal. It's pretty low. I'm going to wait a little while. And if I really want something in particular, I'm not telling myself no. I'm just saying, just hang off a little bit, right? Just wait a few more minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour until I'm more hungry. And then I'll enjoy it even more because it's going to satisfy me even more. I'll also look at what can I change about my meals to satisfy this hunger moving forward. Now, if it's like a normal onset of hunger, say it's been three, four, five hours since I've eaten, I'm not going to have that conversation with myself. But if I'm feeling low levels of hunger shortly after eating, I'm going to get curious and say, what can I change about my meal, my previous meal moving forward to satisfy me for longer. So it might be, well, I had protein and fat, but I really didn't have any veggies or I had veggies that weren't really fiber rich, so they don't satisfy me as much. So I'm going to change that moving forward. Or maybe I just had protein and veggies, but I didn't have any fat, that really long, slow burning fuel. So I'm going to make sure that at my next meal, I get enough fat. I'm just going to look at it and be really curious. Now, in the case of cravings, I tend to think, what am I fixated on right now? In the case of cravings, it's usually something is close by, like people have chocolate or people are eating ice cream or people are eating pizza and you start to crave it. And in that case, it's like, will this really make me feel amazing? Do I really want this? Is this going to satisfy me? How am I going to feel afterwards? Or if it's just like, oh man, I just saw a commercial for ice cream and I haven't had ice cream in a long time. Well, if I focus on that, that craving is going to grow. But if I focus on, say, my progress and how good it feels to see my body change and how good it feels to feel really strong during my workouts and how good it feels to lay in bed at night and feel like I made the right choices for my body... I'm just going to switch my focus. I don't think of it as a distraction, but rather what is more productive for me to focus on, right? So switching my focus is one way that I deal with cravings, but I also ask myself, okay, so I'm experiencing this craving for creamy sweet, right? Um, And I like to kind of classify it because a craving in general is very specific, right? Hunger is just I need fuel. Craving is for a specific food or type of food. So I try to name it. What sounds totally amazing right now? And then am I hungry? And do I need fuel? Same questions that I respond to hunger with, right? Is there a way that I can satisfy this craving with my next meal? And is there a way that I can satisfy this craving in a way that I'm going to feel really good about? So for example, Ben and Jerry's would be an example of something that I could satisfy that craving with, but I wouldn't feel good about it afterwards. But is there something that is going to satisfy this craving? Like maybe it is avocado mousse, where I'll take an avocado and I'll puree it with some cocoa powder and some stevia, and that might really satisfy that craving. What am I craving? And is there a way to satisfy it with my next meal? As opposed to, I got to have it right now, which I just don't think is a helpful strategy for anybody. Like, as soon as I want something, I have to have it now. That's very self-indulgent, and I try to really practice self-discipline there. 
But is there a way to satisfy it in a way that I will feel good about afterwards? And then also I ask, what can I do to reduce these cravings? Am I over restricting? And I know I've talked with you guys before about how I think that there is a direct relationship between restriction and temptation, meaning that the more we restrict ourselves, the more temptation we experience. If we over-restrict, we are much more likely to overindulge. So am I experiencing cravings because I am over-restricting or am I deficient in something like amino acids? Can I add in more protein? Can I maybe do some cocoa powder or something like that where I'm going to replenish what I need to satisfy these cravings moving forward? forward and to reduce their onset um, moving forward. All right. The next question is, how do you get back on track after a binge? Well, here's the reality. If you made the choice to binge, you can make a different choice. So many times we just get this all or nothing mentality of, oh, well, I'm in it, so I'm in it. And that is only your mentality because that is your practiced routine. I would practice just making a different choice right then. Like, yep, I've been on a total bender and I need practice switching it off and not waiting for a whole new day to reset. I need to practice this art of resetting right now. The next step is always a choice. I'm going to say that again because I think that some people think of that as something you need to believe in, but it's not. It's just a fact. Your next step is always a choice. You are either going to choose to continue the binge, you're going to choose to make a crappy choice that you don't feel good about, or you're going to choose to make a good choice. The next step is always a choice. And so every single choice is an opportunity to turn it around. It's okay if you let six or seven choices go by without taking advantage of that. It does take practice. But acknowledge that there's always that reset opportunity. It doesn't have to come with a new week or a new month or a new day. It just comes with the next choice. Every choice is a, is a reset, is a total mental, emotional, and physical reset. And oftentimes what I will do is, okay, what is one thing that I can do right now to improve my health, right? Because sometimes we get sucked into this mentality of a binge and we're just like, all the food, all the food, all the food. Oh, I've blown it. I feel awful, blah, blah, blah. And it feels like a big deal. It feels like it requires all of this activation energy to make a change. But oftentimes what I'll do is just, what is one thing I can do right now to take care of my health? And in a in a binge or after a binge, oftentimes what mine would be is go drink a big glass of water. That's it. Just step away, slow down, go have a big glass of water, right? So that is one. Another would be, I'm just going to write for 60 seconds about what I've experienced and how I feel. Or another one is, okay, what I eat, whatever. If I'm going to eat like crap for the rest of the day, it is what it is. If I'm not, okay, great. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read my affirmations out loud or I'm going to read my goals out loud. Every next step is a choice. And it doesn't have to be this big monumental, I'm going to go from pizza and Doritos and cookies to egg whites and broccoli. It can just be, what is one thing I can do right now to take care of my health? I'm going to drink a glass of water, period, the end, that's it. The next choice is always the next step. So I think that there are so many different ways you can get to it, but the biggest one is telling yourself, I don't need to wait for a new day, a new week, a new month. The next choice is always an option for a reset. And it doesn't matter if there's been 45 bad choices before that, four bad choices, or one bad choice. It doesn't matter. You can always choose to reset. 
We're going to switch gears with the next question because it's related to hormone-free yogurt. So uh, this also came from questions about the What I Ate Yesterday segment. I actually, let's see, today is so, it's been like nine or ten days for me since I've had dairy. And I am so glad. I kept saying to you guys, I know, I know, I had hormone-free yogurt again. It doesn't make me feel good. There's nothing wrong with it. It just, for me personally, it doesn't make me feel good. And then I kept having it. <laughs> so I'm really pleased with myself that it has now been nine or 10 days since I've had any, but the question came from mentioning when I talk about Greek yogurt that I always say hormone-free because that is what I personally choose to buy. And so the question was, why is that important? What does it mean? And where do I buy it? So yogurt, most of the time, comes from cow's milk. You can buy goat's milk or whatever else. But generally speaking, when you go to the grocery store and you're looking at yogurt, it comes from cow's milk. And when we talk about conventionally raised cows, they are often treated with lots of things, right? Antibiotics, you name it. But one of the most concerning is growth hormone, growth hormone. So these cows are treated with, injected with, uh, growth hormone to accelerate the growth of the cow, accelerate the milk production, and it's often referred to as RBGH or recombinant bovine growth hormone. That, that RBGH uh, acronym is also interchangeable with RBST, RBST. So you can see it um, used both ways on, on packaging and things like that. But keep in mind that for me, when I make my choices, I come from a place of hormonal abnormalities, estrogen dominance, PCOS. And so controlling my hormone exposure is really important. And I just got to say, like, I have a real hang up with knowingly and willingly introducing bovine growth hormone into my body. Like, I don't want it. I don't need it. So if I'm going to do dairy nine times out of 10, I'm going to opt for hormone free, which basically means that it comes from cows that have not been treated with RBGH or RBS this bovine growth hormone. So the, the regulations for labeling this on products are really wonky. And the reason that I know this is because back when I was the director of product development for a supplement company, we made a protein shake that came from um, protein from cows not treated with RBGH or RBST. And to protect the cattle industry, the government makes you be so freaking wishy-washy on the labeling. But you will not likely see it say hormone-free. Some do, even though that's not technically compliant with la uh, labeling regulations, but you'd be shocked at how many, how few companies follow true labeling regulations, but that's a whole nother episode. Um, but what you will see is RBGH free or RBST free, and it will very rarely be prominent. Now, um, the brand Atlanta Fresh is very prominent in the way that they label hormone free. And Atlanta Fresh uh, is, is very common on the East Coast. I don't know about the rest of the country, um, but they do sell it at Whole Foods as well as a lot of other chain grocery stores. But Atlanta Fresh is very prominent about hormone free. Faye, which some of you might pronounce phage, but I, I do believe that it's Faye, um, F-A-G-E, you will see that they say on the side of the carton, and it's in pretty small print, RBGH free, okay, which is the same as RBST free, which means it is from cows not treated with recombinant bovine growth hormone. 
So that is one that you can find at Walmart. You can find it at Target. You can find it anywhere. And I'm also going to link to the episode in the show notes over at primalpotential.com that I did on dairy products because I think it's important to understand um, the pros and cons of dairy and how to make good dairy choices. And this is especially important if you're giving cow's dairy to your children uh, in any form, but also if you are hormone sensitive or if you're just consuming dairy on a regular basis. All right, next question is, is breakfast necessary for fat loss? And this comes from the notion that many people have been talking about for a long time, that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and that if you don't eat breakfast, you're going to slow your metabolism. And I'm going to be honest, I think that the first thing you eat after waking, no matter what time it is, is very important because you are either setting yourself up for a blood sugar roller coaster or you're setting yourself up for blood sugar stability, both of which are critical for energy, for fat loss, for health, for all of these things. But the notion that it has to be first thing in the morning is bunk. And I believe that is perpetuated by all of the hundreds of food companies trying to sell us cereals and breakfast bars and shakes and whatever, you name it. If we think Just dial back and think about it from an evolutionary perspective. If it was true that you damage your metabolism if you don't eat right upon waking, that you won't jumpstart your metabolism if you don't eat right upon waking, let's think about hunter-gatherer worlds before the agricultural revolution, before the processed food invasion into our lives. These hunter-gatherers, did they wake up to breakfast on the table? No. Were they obese? No, they were very lean. They were very lean. Metabolically, we would call them quite healthy. And they did not have breakfast waiting. In fact, most of the time, they probably would not eat for many, 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 many hours. Now, some people feel like crap if they don't eat right upon waking. Okay, fine, eat, no big deal. Some people really need to eat right upon waking. Other people don't. There are a lot of people who feel like if they wait a few hours to have something, they are far less hungry for the rest of the day. Whereas if they eat immediately upon waking, um, they tend to really have more hunger and eat a whole lot more. They, They have a harder time getting a handle on their hunger. I know that's the case for me, but here's the reality. It's really about what works for your body. Some people do very well with an intermittent fast extended beyond the time you wake, between the time you wake and when you eat. Other people do far better if they eat right away. There is no metabolic advantage one way or another except for doing what is best for you, what works for you. All right, the next question is related to reward meals or cheat meals. And the email came in like this. So I know you don't like the phrase cheat meal, but what do you do for a reward meal? I have really redefined reward because to me, there is no food that is a greater reward than feeling really good about my body, right? So to say that like ice cream or cupcakes or pizza is a reward, I kind of see it the other way. Now, would I enjoy it? Yes, in the moment. But how am I going to feel afterwards? Not very good. So to me, that's really not a reward, right? And I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here because I think this comes back to pleasure and pain associations. And I believe that 90% of our decisions are driven by these pleasure and pain associations. And the reason I say that number is because most of our decisions, far more than the majority of our decisions, are made by our subconscious. And our subconscious is always going to avoid pain and seek pleasure, right? And I know that historically, 
I had so much pleasure associated with food, ice cream, Mexican food, donuts, you name it, right? And I had so much pain associated with, quote unquote, eating for fat loss because it felt like restriction and deprivation. And I've really switched that. Now I see those high sugar foods, those cheat meal foods with a lot of pain. Not just like physically I don't feel good, but they don't get me where I want to be. They don't give me, like there is a true high that comes from achieving your goals, that comes from feeling proud of the decisions that you make, right? And so I see reward as fueling my body with foods I love that love me back. I'm not saying I don't get enjoyment out of food. I do. I just get enjoyment out of food that makes me feel amazing. So I would really rethink this notion of reward and cheat because what is the true reward? What do you really want? What is really going to make you feel the best? And when I have something that typically I would consider indulgent, right? And, And really, there are things that I don't even know if indulgent is the right way to put it because I consider something like, you know, bacon wrapped avocado truly indulgent. But let's just more accurately say when I eat something that I normally wouldn't have, chocolate or ice cream, I want it to be so absolutely tremendously worth it. Like Ben and Jerry's and Haagen-Dazs, are they tasty? Yeah, but are they special? No, I've done that a bazillion times. I know what that is. It's an old hat. If I am going to have something that I don't normally have, it is going to be totally an experience. If I'm rating it on a scale of uh, 1 to 10, it's going to be like an 8, 9, or a 10. Now, Ben and Jerry's and Haagen-Dazs, I don't know. I mean, they're good. They're tasty. I would like the way it tastes, but they're not special. And so if I'm going to go out of my way to eat something that I wouldn't normally have, I want it to be really amazing, really, really special, something that stands out, the kind of thing that you want to tell people about, right? All right. So those are the questions that I wanted to get to today. If you have questions, please do not hesitate. Do not hesitate. If you're already on the email list, you have my email address, shoot me an email, let me know what you're struggling with or what you're uncertain about or what you want to know, and I will do my best to weigh in on it. If you are not on the list yet, no worries. Text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222. You will get the carb cheat sheet. Um, which has carb strategies for fat loss, and you will get on the VIP list so you can have immediate access to my inbox. Um, Let's wrap up with what I ate yesterday. Kind of had um, another sort of brunch situation. I took some shredded Brussels sprouts and I sauteed them in coconut oil, threw them in a bowl with two hard-boiled eggs and a half an avocado and about maybe maybe two tablespoons of sun-dried tomatoes and mixed it all up. Then a few hours later, I had maybe four or five ounces of rotisserie chicken that I just pulled off of it and some almonds. Then I had uh, an apple with some cinnamon on it. Dinner was something that you'll probably keep hearing over and over again because I'm obsessed with it. Spaghetti squash topped with bison. And then uh, while I was watching football in the evening after the webinar, I did, uh, I had some more almonds, um, salted almonds, and they were totally delicious. I do try to be careful with my nut consumption because it can be a bit of a trigger, but as long as I'm in control of it and really being um, careful with my portions, I feel good about that choice. So keep the questions coming, guys. Again, Elizabeth at primalpotential.com if you have questions or concerns or whatever, whatever. I really do want to address what you need when you need it. So let me do that. Hope you guys have a great day and I'll talk to you soon.